With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday, and it's a pleasure to be with you on the Radio Northwest Network. You know this big teacher strike that's going on? 11 missed school days already, and no sign it's going to be resolved before Thanksgiving. I know how to bring it to an end. Not, not because I'm that smart, but just because I think it's common sense how you could bring the whole thing to an end. But let me get into the details of that in just a moment. But since it's a Monday, glad to take your phone calls. Always willing to take your input at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line. And on this idea, I might actually get a few naysayers. So. If you want to call in and disagree with the host of this show, you're certainly welcome. You'll go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you'd like, vote in our Twitter poll. Now, this one's kind of crazy for a Monday, but I've actually got a personal dog in the fight. Now, listen closely. It's going to sound insane, but it's coming from Northwest government. So factor a little insanity in in most cases. Should any Northwest government charge a tax on rain? And let me tell you how that's going to happen or how they imagine it happened, because they've gotten tired of taxing everything else. They tax property, they tax sales, uh, they tax income, they tax capital gains. Uh, uh, Jay Inslee taxes carbon dioxide, and now they want to tax the rain. And here's how that's going to work. And I have to tell you that in years gone by, Tina and I lived on a floating home. A floating home is not a houseboat. A houseboat has a motor and it goes places. A floating home is a stick-built house that floats on the water. It can float on Lake Union in Seattle. It can float on uh, the Columbia River or the Willamette River or any number of rivers in Oregon. There are only a few thousand of those floating homes. Some of them are relatively tiny. In fact, it was Tina. It was the first house for Tina and I because we had lived on uh, a boat. 
before then. Uh, we were almost homeless by definition at that point, although we weren't suffering at all. But our first house is 732 square feet. It was built in about 1910. Now, this is a house we no longer own, and uh, and it was great. Although it was built kind of like you'd expect a house to be built in 1910. They had never heard of dimensional lumber. They didn't know what it uh, when it came to wiring or plumbing or anything else. So it had a few deficits, which we fixed over the years. But we were told we had to pay a rain tax. And here's how that works. In most places in the Northwest, because we have so much water, you have rain that falls on your roof. It runs into your gutters. It goes down the downspout. In some cases, it makes its way to the street and then to storm drains and then back eventually to the river and then to the Pacific Ocean. It's not that complicated. But... What the cities have done in many cases, and Portland has done this on steroids, is they say, well, because we have to pay for all those expensive stormwater drains, we need to collect a tax on anybody who uses the stormwater infrastructure, the drains in the streets, the big pipes that run under the roads, all of that. But those of us who lived on floating homes, I don't anymore, so I don't have a direct dog in the, tie, in the fight, we said, hold on. The rain hits our roof, it runs straight into the river. Does not pass go, does not pass, uh, collect $200. None of that goes right back into the river. Why are we paying for infrastructure we don't use? Well, when it comes to governments and collecting taxes, they don't exactly buy that argument. The fact that you don't really have any interaction with any of the storm drains or anything else, Portland is now considering expanding its rain tax on floating homes that are on the river. So Seattle and those of you who live in uh, sleepless in Seattle circumstances like a floating home, be aware of this. They may just try to hit you with a tax for water that hits your roof and goes straight back into Lake Union or Puget Sound or wherever it goes. The city says those homeowners, a thousand of them, are paying the city for pollution caused by their house when the rain hits the outside of the house and goes into the river. Now, only a government bureaucrat could appreciate the logic of that. I would say no. Should any Northwest government charge a rain tax? No way, no how. You can vote any way you like. You'll find the Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate puts your biggest assets on the road and keeps them running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Now, let me get to my solution for the Portland teacher strike, or frankly, almost any other teacher strike that happens in the Northwest. I remember about 40, 50 years ago, I covered the longest teacher strike in state history in, in Washington State. It was in Spokane. It went more than 30 days. It screwed things up for the kids and for those who are college-bound and athletes and everybody else. Well, the Portland teacher strike has now hit week number three. And there's no sign at this point that the teachers are going to get back in the classroom by Thanksgiving, which means that'll push it uh, almost to December. And in fact, as I understand it, it sounds like the teachers union walked away from the bargaining table. They've been offered an amazing amount of money. They don't want that. So how do you end the teacher strike? I've been telling you during the strike, during the 11 days that have been lost, uh, expect this to happen, although it's not required by the union contract that teachers negotiate. The contract does not say if you don't show up for work because you're in a strike, you still get paid. The contract doesn't say that. But routinely, at the end of any kind of negotiations to end a strike, 
one of the sides, in this case, the side that allegedly represents citizens and taxpayers and parents, will say, oh, you know those days that your teachers missed 11 of them so far, soon to probably be 20. So they'll have missed almost an entire month very, very soon. You're still going to get paid even though you didn't do any work. And I always remind people, it doesn't work that way in the private sector. I mean, for most employees, if you tell your boss, I can't come in, for whatever reason you give, your boss is going to say, okay, you can't come in. You still don't get paid. If you want to take a vacation day, you'll get paid. You want to call it sick time. If it's legitimate, you still get paid. But if you've just decided you're not going to show up to work, you don't get paid. I'll tell you what. Why doesn't the Portland School Board tell the teachers right now, we will settle this contract eventually. We both sides know we will. But at the end of this, members will not get one single dime of back pay. And when you say back pay, this is back pay for work they didn't do. So if you tell them right now, you want to stay out on a strike for another week? You want to deny those 45,000 kids in education, the kids you've already left behind because of the pandemic, because of ridiculous shutdowns, because of all the nonsense and the failure of the public schools. If you want to do that to the kids, just understand this. At the end of all of this, you're not getting a dime of pay for the works, uh, the days that you never actually showed up to teach. That is already off the table. Right now, who's getting hurt by the strike? The, the students get hurt by the strike. The parents get hurt by the strike. The community gets hurt by the strike. We're paying for the schooling your kids are not getting. That hurts taxpayers. It hurts everybody except the teachers, who've already been told, I'm sure, by their unions, don't worry, we're still going to get you paid for work for days you never showed up to work. Let's make it clear, that's not going to happen. They're 11 days out now. How fast do you think they'd settle if they thought we're not getting almost a month's pay? I think they'd settle up right quick. Back in a moment. You're with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. The sound of freedom. Here's Lars Larson. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, your body will write. You know you got a right to sit. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? 
Lars. That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. In a state dominated by members of the Democrat Party, citizens already enjoy lots and lots of opportunity to vote on their own subjugation. But now Oregon Democrats can actually submit votes for a woman who has real-life experience as a dominatrix. Democrat Courtney Casgrow seeks to replace incumbent Democrat Suzanne Bonamici as the first district Beaver State representative in Congress. Usually, politicians can't shut up about their resumes. Anything that would show that they'd be good in the sick business of politics. Casgrow, on the other hand, admits that she was appalled when somebody revealed on social media that she had worked at at one point in her life, Donatella's Dungeon, a sadism and masochism club in midtown Manhattan, charging fees of up to $500 an hour for her clients. When word leaked out, in her words, I went psycho. Well, no doubt. Casgrow apparently thought what happens in S&M stays in S&M. Now, like so many on the left, she claims that she is the victim. And she claims the fact that politicians and people found out what her former profession was. She calls that an attack on women. Actually, I think somebody like her fits right into the Oregon Democrat Party, a party that has featured unindicted child rapist Neil Goldschmidt, corruption forcing resignations of other Democrats, and a current Democrat governor elected with six figures of illegal drug money. Mistress Casgrow might just have to take have what it takes to whip Oregon Democrats back into shape. Jenna writes in with our question of the day. Lars, will the Thanksgiving turkeys pardon Biden this time? Lars, I was watching Channel 2 News. They had the Peabod group together saying how they would take care of the roads this winter. Peabod is the Portland Bureau of Transportation. The head of Peabod starts talking, saying what we should do. He actually said we should go to the hardware store and buy some ice demelter. Huh? So we need to buy stuff that refreezes ice? That's the leadership of Portland for you. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. Well, I'm going to give full credit for today's Daily Grill to our friends at Willamette Week. You can find their stories at wweek.com. A number of Willamette Week readers have noted a puzzling phenomena amid the teacher strike that has shut down Portland public schools. PPS buses, mostly empty, continue to roll around. Jimmy Applehans, who heads up the unit for the Amalgamated Transit Workers Union, Local 757, that represents the drivers of some of those buses, confirms his members are out on the streets even though there is no school. He says, you will see some of the buses out there running our routes per usual with the drivers. We are maintaining our driving skills. Hold on a second. You've got bus drivers who have to stay practiced up because a couple of weeks off would have them forgetting how to drive a school bus? I wouldn't call that much of a driver. Apple Haas says his members whose contract extends to 2025 are, get this, taking advantage of the strike to complete the classroom training that is required for their licenses. Don't they have licenses right now? And if they're doing training, why are we paying them to drive empty buses around burning diesel or propane? Some of them actually run on propane. Uh, why are they burning propane? I mean, isn't this the clean, green Northwest where using any kind of fossil fuel is viewed as an act of evil? 
and yet they're going to drive empty school buses around. Well, with practice driving empty buses, they could probably find uh, work at uh, Seattle's Metro Transit System or maybe even TriMet. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Kim Lathrop wrote in and reminded me of something that I thought of over the weekend when I heard the news that the former First Lady of the United States, Rosalind Carter, no, I didn't think much and still don't think much of her husband, but I thought Rosalind Carter was a reasonably nice lady. She says, well, one of the best interviews you ever did was with Rosalind Carter. You were on your best behavior and allowed Rosalind to open up not only about the Carter, that is Habitat for Humanity activities, but also some fairly personal interaction between her and Jimmy. She came off as totally unguarded in her responses to you. I was rather amazed by that. I was amazed she came on the show. No Oregon Democrat would by that time. Do you remember if she reached out or if you did? Signed Kim. Kim, the sad thing is... Uh, we actually mutually connected. I wanted to talk to her about some issues involving her work and uh, Jimmy Carter's work in retirement. I mean, in retirement, he wasn't a bad guy at all. As president, he was an absolute train wreck, and he was the worst on record until it came to Joe Biden. But as a private citizen, he did a lot of good works. Now, he was also a bit of a racist when it came to Israel. He said a bunch of other crazy things. But without getting into any of that, we heard with great sadness that the former First Lady Rosalind Carter uh, passed away this past weekend. May she rest in peace. I wanted to tell you some good news. It is a Monday, after all. It's good to start the week with some good news. But if you want to join the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. But this good news comes from Chelan County, Washington. Guess what? Government workers in Chelan County have voted to decertify their union. The Freedom Foundation helped them get it done. Juvenile detention supervisors employed by Washington State Chelan County successfully navigated the long legal process to decertify Teamsters Local 760 as the union representing them in union matters. Now, two things about that. Number one, uh, union representation of workers in America has been dropping for decades. It is now at one of the lowest points it's ever hit. In the private sector, union representation is about 6% of all workers. Among government employees, it's more like 8 or 10% of all workers. The vast majority of Americans have sensibly said, we don't want the union representing us. But you don't see decertifications very often. Having gone through one myself, I went to work at a radio station, happens to be our flagship station, KXL, decades ago. And I was told in no uncertain terms after I went to work, by the way, you have to join the union. And I said, what if I don't? And they said, well, then the contract says you get fired within 30 days. That was one of my introductions to unions and that sort of thing, which has kind of colored my opinion of unions. But get this, the supervisors in Chelan County were unionized in 2014, just nine years ago. Because the union utilized a procedure known as cross-check, no secret ballot election was ever held. You see, the unions don't like secret ballot elections unless it comes to voting for public officials. When it comes to their union elections, they like to do them in public so they know who voted against the union. Uh, under cross-check, a union can be certified simply by collecting signed interest cards from a majority of employees, meaning... You're asked, would you like to have a vote on a union? Sure, I'll, we'll have a vote on it. We'll vote it down. You sign it, and boom, you're in a union. 
In the years since 2014, though, the juvenile detention supervisors have become disenchanted, no kidding, with the representation they weren't getting from the Teamsters Local 760, so they decided to send the union packing, and I say bravo to them. Coming up in a moment, should Oregon law or any state's law bar teachers from striking on school days? Washington State already bars teacher strikes. Oregon could follow suit. We'll talk about that coming up next on the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Because you like what you hear, right, Lars Larson? I'm getting your emails, and thank you for sharing your concerns directly with me. No child care, missing work, worrying about how this is impacting your kids' mental health, worrying about not having access to school meals. This is too much uncertainty. Your kids need to be back in school. Now, that is Governor Tina Kotek, Democrat and big friend of the unions. And you notice the one thing she didn't mention in those comments about what a teacher's strike takes away? Education. She mentioned meals. She, she mentioned a number of things. She did not mention education. Because I think to a lot of Democrats, they understand we're talking about glorified child care. After all, still in a system in which you don't have to be able to read, write, or count to earn a diploma or be awarded a diploma, I should say, since if you can't read, write, and count, you haven't exactly earned it. But that's Kotech. And she says she's doing everything she can to end this teacher strike. There is no evidence of that whatsoever, but that's only one of the problems. The other problem is why does Oregon allow under state law any teacher strike at all. And Representative uh, Christine Goodwin joins me now, uh, who represents uh, District 4, that's Canyonville. Uh, Representative Goodwin, welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Lars. Good to be back in your program. Is it going to be possible to pass a law that outlaws teacher strike the way, uh, teacher strikes the way that Washington State has? Well, we're sure going to give it our best. I mean, uh, you said it absolutely. The Democrats are going to block this. Um, very likely they're you know um in the pockets of teacher unions their union bosses um pretty much direct to their thinking and what they will support so our proposed legislation will prohibit teachers from walking out on school days and protecting those 170 educational days that are promised to our students um that's so on average so, so they can go on strike in July or August if they want to. They right. just can't strike during the school year. Seems fair to me. Right. And it seems fair to me as well. There's 30 other states that have similar laws. You have uh, three months out of the year, at least, um, up to five months, really, that you can do your bargaining and your negotiations uh, that do not disrupt student learning. So the taxpayers made huge investments in our state schools, Lars. I mean, this year we passed a 103 billion-dollar budget, and for union bosses to take control with this blackmail bargaining is just unacceptable. And by the um, way, when you say $10.3 billion, that's the education piece of the state budget, right? Correct. Correct. Yes. And that's, you know, that's a record revenue for our, our public schools. The point is the taxpayer is paying for those schools, and the, the teachers are public employees, and they are hired to teach 
minimum on average goes 170 instructional days each year. We feel that they should be obligated to do so, that we need to protect that for students. Um, and by the way, 170 is one of the lowest numbers in America, isn't it? Because Oregon doesn't actually have, they have an instructional hours requirement, but not an instructional days, or am I wrong about that? Yeah, I believe you're right. I know that each, um, there's a slight variations in that, and they will bargain, again, for certain uh, days that are not instructional days that are, prep days and so on. But when you really look at the number of days that children actually have in a classroom with the learning experience, you know, that's less than six months out of the year. So um, it is really critical to me and to my other Republican legislators that we take action on this. Now, again, you're not going to hear much from the Portland Democrats, are you, legislators? No. As no. They in fact, last year, this is how lopsided. I mean, teachers unions support the Democrats in a huge way. Last year, there was one Democrat that received 50,000 in contributions in the election cycle. Now, let We're me ask you to... some. Let me ask you, and I realize that. And you got Vicki Breeze Iverson on your side, Jamie uh, Kate, and then you, Representative yeah. Goodwin. What are the teeth that are going to be in the law? Because Washington State also has a law that says you can't have teacher strikes. And they have teacher strikes anyway, and nothing happens. So will there be some teeth in the law? Well, in, in our process, you know, Lars, in the legislative process, there will um, be quite a lot of questionings. Hopefully we'll even get a hearing. <laughs> but then through the amendment process, I think we will really study other states and reach out to them, make sure we do tighten up this bill. I think our first obstacle is just to even get it heard with a Democrat-controlled legislature. Okay, because one of the concerns I've got is I hate the fact that Washington State has had teacher strikes as well recently, and we always point out, something the mainstream media usually does not point out. We say this teacher strike is an illegal teacher strike. And I watched a bunch of the main, uh, the legacy media, uh, the TV stations, 2, 6, 8, and 12. And I would watch their story say, are they going to mention that this strike is illegal? They don't mention it. The school board doesn't highlight it. Of course, the teachers unions don't mention it. And so the public is left wondering, well, they want on strike. I guess they can. I mean, I'm not asking you for you to mandate through legislation what, what's reported, uh, not at all. But, but the public sometimes isn't aware that there's a law in Washington State that says you can't do it, but the school districts almost never enforce that law. Yeah, it's so true. And the other thing I'm not hearing in any of this conversation is just how highly paid the Portland public school teachers are the highest paid in the oh. state. Right. They're losing enrollment, their attendance is dropping, their proficiency scores are dropping, they've suspended essential skills for high school graduation. They're not talking about improving performance for students. You know, as you said earlier, they're not talking about educational disruption to these children. You know, these union bosses don't care. They care about their union dues. Well, and not only union bosses, but, Christine, I, I understand you and I aren't going to ever agree on most things with Tina Kotek. But she's the governor of the whole state, not just of all the yeah. Democrats. And when she came out with that statement, I thought, I just listened to that. She talked about meals. She talked about daycare. She talked about all these. Did she mention learning at all? And, and it turns out she did not. Because I think from her point of view, which is supposed to be representative of the entire state, 
They don't care about the education end of it. It is a way to raise money for the Democrats. It's a way to employ a gigantic number of public employees. It provides daycare. It provides meals. But does it actually educate anybody? If the governor actually brought that up, somebody might be tempted to ask her, well, how is their learning going right now, governor? And she'd have to admit, well, the, the best numbers show it's not going very well at all, and the strike ain't helping. Right. And, yeah, it just seems like, well, we've seen this woke politics, of course, in our curriculum and and just seep into our schools so profoundly. But it just seems to be about human services, right? It is less about education and more about the human services we provide. And as parents, there's almost this this push. Well, it's why, of course, uh, public or school choice is getting such traction. Because parents are really being pushed out of the arena. They are having less and less influence over curriculum and class size and conditions, and um, they're just not part of the conversation anymore. It's almost as though education has just usurped parental rights. Well, I'll tell you what. I know you can't do it with Republicans in the minority in both houses and no Republican in the governor's office. But if if that changes, yeah. uh, what I'd love to see is say, if you decide to go on strike, an illegal strike, if Oregon makes it illegal, then say you're putting at risk state funding from the state to that district. If your union pulls a strike, then for every day you're on strike, the district loses that much money. Now, take a portion of their, their state funding and say it just goes away and it goes to all the other schools where they didn't have strikes. Can you imagine what that might do to change the equation? That's Representative Christine Goodwin, along with several others. They are proposing an Oregon law that would bar teachers from striking on school days the same way Washington law bars it as well. It's a Monday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers go to the head of the line. Check out our Instagram feed and send me emails. Talk at LarsLarson.com. If you've been arrested for with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Simply by listening, you're proving how smart you really are. 
Lars thanks you. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Monday on the Radio Northwest Network, and we're pleased to be with you. If you want to join the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Our Twitter poll today, a little on the light side, but it's still serious money. Should any Northwest government charge a tax on rain? Portland is about to do that. They want to go after people who live on floating homes. Both Oregon and Washington have floating homes. But in the case of the city of Portland, they want people who live on floating homes to pay because water runs off their roofs back into the river directly. And they say, you see, you have to pay for stormwater infrastructure, even though in that case, the infrastructure in question on floating homes is the gutters and the downspouts owned by the homeowner. So I do have a dog in the fight, used to live on a floating home, don't have one any longer. But should any Northwest government charge a rain tax, you can find the question at Lars Larson Show on X or Twitter. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. And always brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let me bring on Emily McIntyre. And Emily McIntyre, uh, you wrote to me last week, and I thought, this is a piece of good news I thought I'd share with yeah. folks. If I understand, yeah. you said my yeah. school board Wednesday night adopted or voted to reinstate our demonstration of proficiency to get a diploma from high school in Eagle Point. Did I get that right? They're actually still going to require kids to read, write, and count to get a diploma? Yes, you did get that right. Um, and then the, the caveat to it is that it says the Eagle Point Diploma. So, unfortunately, we're not able to not graduate them. If they do pass their classes and get their credits, they will get a State of Oregon Diploma. But in order to receive an Eagle Point Diploma, they will have had to done a demonstration of proficiency. And our goal is for every student to take the test, complete the work samples, and then if there's extenuating circumstances, um, we can't withhold that Oregon diploma, but but yes, that is the plan. I'm talking to Representative Emily McIntyre. Of course, she's not a Democrat because we understand Democrats would not be in favor of this. Uh, but was that a tough one to get past the school board? Not in our district. It it was not, um, but it was a discussion, right? And since I sit on the legislature and also sit on the school board, it's something that I really pushed for and advocated for. And the conversation really became, what is the best measurement of success? If it's not this essential skills testing, then what is it? And honestly, nobody can really tell me what's the best measurement of a success. So we do nothing. So really, once this discussion came up at uh, with my superintendent and our other board members, um, there was discussion with our high school principal. Uh, we just decided that this was going to be, for the first step, the best step forward. Tell me this, um, do you think y your example in, in Eagle Point might be enough to push other districts to do the same? Because the fact that the state wants to have a dummy diploma where you can get it even if you can't read, write, or count should not keep individual school districts from recognizing that really isn't a legitimate diploma. And if you sent that message, I think people would might take it to heart. So I did. I had a over 200 email addresses to board secretaries across the state from last year. So a couple of them are going to be outdated. But on the same day that I sent you an email, I sent 
uh, an email with our resolution and updated policy to every single school district in the state. And I ask them to consider joining us. Get any any takers yet? I've had a couple email responses. Uh, I had one from a board that said that they're quietly actually making their academic achievement a little bit more rigorous. Um, and <laughs> and for me, I'm like I'm done being quiet about it. Right? Yeah, um, I agree. We keep we keep hearing from the legislative assembly that it's local control, local control, local control. Right? And so this is one of those things that, like I said, we can't withhold an Oregon State diploma, but we can absolutely add an additional requirement to our Eagle Point diploma. Um, and really then it, it sets that bar of, of what kids need to at least be trying to accomplish. I believe it also keeps our teachers on task. Your students are going to have to be passing either this state assessment or they're going to have to complete a work sample. So I think that it keeps teachers focused on the standards that they're actually supposed to be teaching. And and like I said, if you've got a better measurement, and I guess there's actually, I haven't read it. I just um, I just actually got it in my email. But there was a, a recommendation out of Senate Bill 744, which is when the legislature suspended those essential skills in 2021. Right. Kind of started this whole mess, right? There was this whole task force put together, and they wrote over a hundred-page recommendation that I um, just got in my inbox. I'd like to read, but this report's already been developed. And within this report, if the recommendations are there for what our high school students need to be doing in order to say that they have achieved this diploma, why have we not reinst? Why haven't we done this? Right? <laughs> if the recommendations are already in there. Why are we continuing to suspend and suspend and suspend? Um, so the recommendations are already there from this task force. I'm going to read about it. I'll send you an email and tell you what you they know, are when I'm done. But it's do. frustrating to me. Yeah. Well, you know what I'd like to suggest? I don't know what the skills <laughs> test costs, but the, U- the military has had thing, a thing called the ASVAC that they use to assess. Mm-hmm. So we got incoming recruits. What you know? What are they capable of doing? And they've got, I think, 40, maybe even 50 years of data on that. You started giving that to graduating seniors, you'd actually get a real measure. And you could get it free of charge because the military already the owns the show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big solo? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved Republic.
Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live. And now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, uh, 26 radio stations that serve the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, and have for almost 24 years now. We're glad to keep right on doing it. Uh, one of the great things about this job is I get the opportunity to meet some really, really interesting people. And among them, Kurt Van Meter, I consider a great personal friend and a friend of the show, uh, was a cop is now an award-winning country musician opening up for some of the top talent in America, and he joins me now. Kurt, how are you? I'm good, Lars. How are you doing? Not too bad. I understand that you and the guy I never thought was a musician, I, I didn't know that Todd <laughs> Hoffman from Gold Rush actually had musical talents, but uh, apparently driving dozers and running excavators is not his only set of talents. Yeah, no, he's actually got a band out of Sandy called Sandy Mule, and they're more of the rock and roll version, and they have a bunch of originals. And, yeah, he's been, you know, at these, uh, during the course of our friendship, we've certainly done some singing together, and he's got a great voice, and then he decided to put a band together. And so they've done a few shows, and I think this is kind of the first big, big show that he's going to be doing with us, probably going to be more than a few people there. So now, I'm excited. When, when we first met you and had you on the show, you were still working full-time as a cop and only part-time in That's music. Right. How in the world did you make that transition? Well, you know, it was one of those things where in 2013, I just had to. And so it was one of those either fight or fight. So you know me, I'm going to fight. And that summer after I stopped doing musical or police work, I was able to open for Air Church and Montgomery Gentry and Blake Shelton and those guys. And then that really stimulated some significant growth in my music career. And then this last year, it was the first year that I've actually been able to do music full-time. And that's because of the partnership with Cole Hauser, and who plays Rip Wheeler and all that stuff. On so Yellowstone. It's been a lot of fun. On Yellowstone, Yellowstone yep. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you've, also, yep, and right. You've, got, you've got a deal working with the PBR, the professional bull riders. I mean, that's impressive. Yes. Well, so this thing with uh, Cole Hauser, he actually grew up. We did a show with him last October in Sun Valley, Idaho. And, you know, when you open for somebody, you kind of just stay in your corner. You don't really interface with them very much. And I thought that would be the same way with Cole. And he actually came onto our tour bus and was talking to us, and we spent a lot of time chatting. And I found out that he actually grew up in southern Oregon until he was eight years old. He lived in Ashland. And then I told him that I played football for Oregon State. And he said, well, my dad played football for Oregon State. And so Wings Hauser is his name. He's an actor as well. And uh, so it was just my, this awesome, awesome bond that we've had. And what the premise is working with him is people pay a lot of money to go see him and hang out with him. And then we're his favorite band. <laughs> we're the after party. So it's been amazing. We've got to fly all over, all over the country. We got to play for Donald Trump last December in Naples, right. Florida. And, uh, yeah, it's been an awesome thing. So Cole became the spokesperson for PBR. And after he became the spokesperson, I had sent him a new song off the new album called Cowboy Grits. And he loved it. And PBR decided to license it. And 
not only did now, they license uh, that Now, hold on, Kurt. Don't skip on past that. I mean, all of the music on my show ends up being licensed by BMI and ASCAP and all that. But what does Perfect. it mean when PBR decides to license a song? What does that imply they're going to do with it? So they pay you a mechanical fee to have the rights. So they pay you a one-time mechanical fee to have the rights to use it however they want in the advertising space that you agree to. And so you get a one-time payment, which is not cheap. And... <laughs> then you give them authority authorization to, to to use it in perpetuity and so yeah it's and so and you get the ASCAP royalties and all that other good stuff so it's 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 the thing that needs to happen for you know so, every musician's career where there's that one song so that means that if you go to see a you know go to see a rodeo somewhere in the northwest or elsewhere you might end up seeing them using it in in that context or in advertising yeah, it's going to be a uh, thirty-second show, uh, commercials, sixty-second commercials, ninety-second commercials, a four and a half minute video, and a seven and a half minute movie, and it will be on all those and or most of those, and that will be worldwide distribution. So yeah, it's going to be, and there's other things in in the works as well. So it's pretty exciting. It's very very exciting. And and your big partnership with Cole Hauser is on a short film. Is that part of the PBR deal, or is that something separate? That's it. Yeah, that's the PBR film that my producer and I scored all the music to, which was a whole new thing for me. Because usually when you write your own songs, you write them until you're happy with them, and then you're done. When you score a project for somebody else, you've got to do it, and then you ask them if they like it, and then they give you feedback. And then when they give you feedback, you've got to change everything, and that completely changes you know, the hit points and all the other stuff behind it. And so it was an amazing experience. I was out in Johnson City, Tennessee for 60 hours and uh, for a whole week, and uh, working on it, and it was unbelievable. So that's so that going to debut. That, that means they yeah. can say to you, we need the words more like this, or we need the music more like this, or the post has to hit about here uh, to make this work right. for what we're going to set it to? That's right. Exactly right. And then you go back to the drawing board. And it was just so much fun because, you know, Cole is very musical. I mean, he is very musical, and he knows a lot about music, but he doesn't necessarily speak the language the way you know, so he'd say, I want the rhythm to be faster when he actually meant the melody. And so it was just interfacing those 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 things and figuring it out. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot All of right. fun. Now, now, I know people so, are going to know, where can we see you and Todd Hoffman from Gold Rush? you got some performances coming up, right? Yep. Uh, just We don't do a lot of shows on the West Coast. We've been lucky to be able to do a lot of stuff in the South and on the East and in Texas. And so we have a show on December 9th at the Ponderosa Lounge, which is inside the Jubit's truck stop area. And Todd's going to open. He starts at 9 o'clock, and then he's going to play for about 50 minutes. And then I'm going to go on and play for a couple hours, and it's going to be an amazing amount amount of fun. And come hang out, get your picture with Todd and um, me if you want it. I mean, well, and, <laughs> and, and, and by the way, channel, it's, so been, it's been a long time, but I've been to Jubit's truck stop. That's quite, a, that's quite a venue. Does that seat a few hundred people? Uh, I think it's about four to 500, and they wow. completely remodeled it. And it's it's actually a very nice venue now. It's a very nice venue inside, and they do a really good job. So it's it's the it's the main place that we play when we play in the Northwest, and it's a lot of fun. So we'd love to see everybody. And again, a lot of the shows we've been doing just because of this Cole Hauser partnership have been private. So whenever we get an opportunity to do a public show, I uh, I get very excited about that. And you got to work on new songs, and then you'll probably have to have another album. And you're traveling, and all of that at the same time. Yeah, the songs actually kind of happen as you travel. <laughs> my voice, my voice memo is full of hundreds of ideas. And so 
um, the, the songwriting actually is just a part of you, you know, so that kind of takes, goes wherever you go. So I do have a new eight song album coming out. Um, we're planning to launch probably around the world finals for the PBR because it's looking like we're in discussion to be able to go perform Cowboy Grit at AT&T Stadium in Dallas, which would be huge. Wow. Now that's, so, that's incredible. Yeah. Where's your, uh, tell people where your website is, Kurt. KurtVanMeter.com. You can get tickets to my show at KurtVanMeter.com. There's new merchandise on there. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, would love the support, would love as many clicks as we can, and come out and see us on December 9th. Great friend of the show, and he spells his name with a K. That's Kurt Van Meter. Back in just a moment, glad to get your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. And coming up in a moment, a major federal court decision today that locks the public out of deciding voting laws in America. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Just think of him as your concealed carry. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I get called an election denier all the time, and I, I guess I wear that, uh, that label proudly. If people say, do you think the uh, 2020 election was legitimate? I say, no. Would you like to know why? And most of them don't want to know the why. But I watch election officials uh, and some of the events that happen around them. Uh, I saw... Uh, and I was really pleased that a number of states had decided after the 2020 election, the one that was described as the most perfect election in American history, uh, and then a bunch of states said, but we need to change the laws because we've got to make it a little tighter. I mean, the goal being for conservatives, make it easy to vote, hard to cheat. And uh, there were a number of states that did that. And then today I saw, just a few hours ago, a federal court, so it's not the final word on it, it's not the Supreme Court, but one of the federal courts had a panel of judges who said effectively, and I'll test this on our friend Greg Kafori, um, lock the public out of bringing lawsuits under the... Uh, under the uh, Voting Rights Act. And I thought, I've got to talk to a guy who knows the law well, and that is attorney Greg Kafori who joins me. Greg, welcome back to the program. Hi, thanks for having me, Lars. So tell me this, am I reading this the wrong way? The federal court has now said the majority of lawsuits brought against or under the Voting Rights Act are brought by citizens and groups. So we're going to lock right. all citizens and groups out and now only the government can sue under the Voting Rights Act. Is that what they just did? That, 
that's what they just did. It applies in a, a, a number of states, but it's clearly uh, designed for and, uh, and heading to the U.S. Supreme Court. And my guess is that they'll uphold it and that it'll become uh, the law of the land. The backdrop of this is this. Um, we had the Voting Rights Act passed, you know, back in the Civil Rights era. And it said, there's a whole bunch of states that have a history of uh, racial discrimination in voting, you know, freezing out black people and so on. Right. Uh, going back to, to, you know, all the, all, all the evils of, uh, of Jim Crow. And the, the Congress passed a law saying these states, because of their history, when they want to change uh, voting rights uh, in, in any significant way, uh, have to get pre-approval from uh, federal judges or from the Justice Department. And this law was reaffirmed, reinstated periodically over and over by Congress, and it was absolutely non-controversial. I mean, it would go through with virtually no, no votes, uh, no votes opposing it. And then, uh, the Supreme Court 10 years ago said, uh, no, uh, uh, they said racial discrimination said the Supreme Court of the United States is uh, is a thing of the past. We don't uh, we don't need to worry about that anymore. And uh, and so so we really that's what they said. Uh, nearly 50 years later, things have changed dramatically, largely because of the Voting Rights Act. And it says that the, the it's not necessary anymore because uh, we're not a racist country anymore. I mean, it was it was crazy. And of course, as soon as they did that. Uh, a whole bunch of states, mostly southern states, had uh, had uh, uh, proposals and laws passed that limited uh, uh, voting rights for black people, and they had uh, they had very limited uh, ability to uh, to fight it. And what this court has done, and what the Supreme Court, when this goes up, will probably do, is uh, shut that last door, and uh, so states will have complete power, virtually complete power, over gerrymandering in ways that are racially discriminatory. Uh, limiting people's rights to vote. You know, there's a thousand ways that you can limit that you can limit uh, people's uh, oh, yeah. right to vote or ability to vote, and uh, and they're doing it. Well, I'm, you know, well, Greg. I'm let me ask you: your your restrictive laws since then. Your, yeah. your politics are a little different than mine, and that's okay. Oh, they but are. when I read they this, are. this this one looked kind of bipartisan. Like this is going to cut against both conservatives and liberals, individuals and groups who want to say. Hey, they just did something with districting or with other things that involve voting. This will cut against both sides of the aisle, won't it? Well, so far it's been it's been uh, it's been racial, and it's and it's been it's been it's been from the Republicans. But this is part of a larger picture, which which you know I'm sure you you're aware of. Things that used to be understood, things we don't do. Uh, because we're all going to get along together, and we are—we're all Americans. Those kinds of mores, those kinds of informal rules, are going by the wayside, and uh, it's getting to be the law of the jungle out there. Uh, and and so, you know, there, I would not be surprised if down the road, in states that are that are controlled by uh, by leftists, that uh, that the right gets squeezed. And, you uh, think? and 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 you see you see you see gerrymandering. You're going to see gerrymandering. Well, you know, in Oregon, right? Uh, yep. You've got a very liberal legislature, and you've got uh, you've got uh, Republicans who are struggling to hang on to uh, to uh, uh, you know a piece of the uh, of the congressional uh, uh, representation. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's uh, well. 
Because, because the gerrymandering can cut both ways. The founders had to have assumed that when they redistrict, you know, we have a new census every yeah. 10 years, and you say we've yeah. got to redraw the boundaries so we just have the same representation in each congressional district and legislative yeah. districts and all that. In a state that's entirely run by the Democrats and the liberals, they're not necessarily going to say, well, let's come up with something fair. They're going to come up with, well, let's come up with something that benefits our side, aren't they? I think it, absolutely, it's true, and and you know, it's 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 really it's really sad the 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 way things are going. I mean, go back go back to uh, uh, you know when when uh, Ginsburg died, and uh, and uh, there was a year that uh, that the Senate had to confirm uh, uh, an Obama appointment to the Supreme Court, and uh, Mitch just said, "I'm not going to do it." And wait, 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 wait till after the next election, and uh, and so the Democrats lost a chance to put somebody on the Supreme Court. Thank God. And uh, and then and then, well then 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 next next ne- next time next time around when they controlled the Senate, um, they uh, they uh, they rammed through uh, uh, Justice uh, Ginsburg uh, just before an election, <laughs> right? In which they lost the Senate, they rammed her through in a matter of weeks. So it's it's uh, and you know Carrie Lake. You know, it used to be that when you lose an election, you congratulate the winner and say, you know, all right, I'll get now, you next hold time. On. Now, hold on, Greg. If you're going to go down that road, I-, I would remind you of Stacey Abrams, Joe Biden, uh, Hillary Clinton, and a long list of people who've called the legitimacy of elections into account in specific elections and said, that was that's not an, a legitimate president. All of them did that. But when they do that, the left never says anything. But if people on the right say, hey, that... That election wasn't kosher. Uh, they say, "Well, you guys aren't allowed to say that." The, the 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 look at what Trump did. I mean, Trump Trump didn't just didn't just uh, didn't just say I won. He uh, <laughs> you know barricaded himself in the White House and <laughs> he didn't, didn't barricade didn't himself. And, he also oh, didn't you, grab you know, the steering wheel on. <laughs> on the SUV or any of the figure, other figure, figuratively well you know he, he had a whole bunch of lawyers who worked for him lawyers he'd picked and they said hey man you lost the election time to step aside and he goes looking for crazy people <laughs> to say to say he won like like uh, like the poor drunk mayor of former mayor of New York and and that uh that uh, unfortunate we're, we're, Amazon we're, woman who is we're going to we're going to have drop. to continue this discussion another day because I'm up that's against hard Greg. But that's Greg, fine. now that's locking fine. citizens and the groups that represent them out of bringing any kind of action under the Voting Rights Act seems completely wrong to me. But that's what the federal courts are pushing, and as Greg Kafori says, Supreme Court may just uphold it. We'll be back in a moment. And yeah, glad to have you with me. Eight six six. Hey Lars, you're listening to the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Saying the things you wish you could say. More with Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. You know, we talk about inflation on this show quite a bit. 
especially in the Biden years where inflation has gone absolutely nuts. And then we have a president uh, currently just uh, celebrating his 81st birthday, by the way, oldest president in American history, who wants to tell you why things are looking great. Inflation is down since last year. The only problem is he's the one who drove it to the high last year uh, that makes this year look better by comparison, but not by better by comparing it to the rest of America's experience over the last couple of decades. So I wanted to talk inflation uh, with Ken Davis, who's an energy expert, as well as being former deputy attorney general for Virginia. Ken, welcome back to the program. Hello, Lars. Good to be back. Are we measuring uh, inflation the wrong way or reporting it the wrong way in a way that, that doesn't actually convey what we're trying to get at? Well, for years now, uh, beginning back in the uh, 70s and the last um, serious bout of chronic high. Did Ken just disappear on me? Hold on a second. Let's let's get him back on that line. Ken, are you still there? Yeah, it sounds like his phone may have given up. Hey, Joel, would you mind checking on Ken's phone line? Because it sounds like his phone line might just have died. Uh, but the Labor Department reported, and this came late uh, last week, that the Consumer Price Index, the official measure of the price of a basket of everyday goods and services, things like gasoline and groceries, was unchanged in October from the previous month, up 3.2% from October of 2022, excluding what they call volatile prices for food and fuel, which is an awful lot of what the average family has to buy. They take those price increases out. Let me get back to Ken. Ken, you were saying that in the 70s, we've been doing what practice with CPI? Well, um, the government um, that does so much to create inflation with irresponsible spending and monetary policy and regulatory policy that restricts supplies and by that increases inflation and prices, uh, the government has um, been fiddling with the CPI calculation uh, for years now, uh, beginning uh, in some ways back in the 70s when we last were mired in a long-term uh, high uh, inflation period. But what they do is make a number of adjustments uh, when they calculate uh, CPI, that's Consumer Price Index. It's, it's supposed to be um, an averaged price of a basket of everyday goods and services that will, when it's calculated, give an accurate indication of what consumers, what Americans um, have to deal with when they go to the store, go to the grocery store, or fill up their car. But right. uh, the government, like I say, they have a vested interest in hiding the uh, destructive um, consequences of their irresponsible policies and so they make a number of adjustments to uh, the calculation a uh, number of assumptions and adjustments that taken together drastically uh, reduce uh, the reported cpi below what it actually is uh, they uh, report a rate of price increases um that uh, is seriously, uh, materially understated. A lot of um, disinterest. Meaning, meaning, Ken, that is deceptive. It deceives people saying, no, things are better than, than you think they are. Is that the effect of it at the end of the day? Well, that's the desired effect. 
But I think one reason that uh, a big reason that Biden continues to get such uh, uh, poor um, poll results, especially on the economy and inflation, is that people see this tremendous disconnect between the, what the government reports and what the uh, um, what we have to experience, what we do experience every day when we have to put food on the table and gas in the tank. Um, if inflation was me- measured properly, the actual reported figure would be approximately twice what they're reporting. Wow. So, for, so for instance, this last uh, report for October that um, prices had gone up 3.2%. The CPI had gone up 3.2% uh, since October 2022. It's It's... More like six and a half, and um, so this is uh, this is a chronic problem. It's been going on a while, and and it's especially uh, deceptive and uh, cynical, um, cynical political spin when the real inflation rate is um, is high due to their policies. Well, I mean, especially when you look at what they call core CPI which almost seems like a joke to tell people, yeah, we're going to track everything except food and fuel, which, of course, are up dramatically. I mean, fuel right now, I benchmark back to January of 21 when Biden took the oath. I say, look, you're paying about 50 percent more for gasoline than you were back then. And you say, is is that a good thing? 50 percent increase and not quite three years? No, that's that's stratospherically bad for the average person and for the average business. And yet they say, well, we don't include that in core CPI. Should we? They certainly should. I mean, the, the stated reason for excluding food and fuel uh, from their second CPI calculation, so-called core, and even the you know, even the term core is a misnomer because it suggests that that's a, 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 a core basket of essential purchases and the things excluded are not essential. But in this case, the two things they're excluding, food and fuel, are, are the most essential things that we have to purchase uh, on a almost daily basis. So, um, it's it's um, it's a it's a con game is is what it is. They um, blow up spending to distribute money to favored constituencies, and then they hide the price that we all have to pay, even the favored constituencies. We all have to pay as a result of their ongoing con. Yeah, and the, the joke, I, I follow the Babylon Bee, which is a satire site. And I think last week they said, hey, Gavin Newsom's going to announce a new, uh, you know, increase in the minimum wage to help people afford the prices of the things that are now more expensive because of the last increase in the minimum wage. And I'm, I'm aware the minimum wage doesn't actually have that dramatic an effect. But it, but it is kind of a joke when you say to people, well, and, and Joe Biden has been running around saying, look, incomes are up dramatically. And that not among anybody I know, and certainly not in the figures we're seeing. But we're going to see this this game played even more in the next twelve months, aren't we? Uh, we certainly are. And uh, wages, in real terms, 
even when compared to and adjusted for the inflation that they report, have not kept up with their inflation. And when you consider the fact that real inflation is much higher uh, than wages have uh, certainly not kept up, millions of Americans are falling farther and farther behind. And that, of course, is why he gets such lousy and fully justified poll results on the economy. It's, it's because the spin, the pathetic, cynical spin that they try to um, push out, that is, inflation is not so bad. Inflation is coming down. Well, the rate is coming down, but the prices are still going up. That's Ken Davis, our favorite energy expert and former deputy attorney general for the Commonwealth of Virginia. Ken, thanks very much. Back in a moment, we'll get to your calls. You're listening to The Lawrence Larson Show and the Radio Northwest. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Keeping you happy, informed, and always guessing what he'll say next, here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday and live on the Radio Northwest Network. Glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And consider our Twitter poll question today. Should any Northwest government charge a tax on rain? Now... Already in much of the Northwest, if you own a home, if it has downspouts and gutters, let's hope you have a house that uh, isn't lacking those things, uh, cities will tell you why you're using some of the infrastructure, the storm drains, and so you have to pay extra based on the size of your roof. Well, now the city of Portland is considering a special tax that would go on the people who live on the river live on a floating home. As I've disclosed my dog in the fight, Tina and I once owned a floating home for a number of years, loved living on the river, but when they came along and said, you're going to pay a downspout tax, you know, because rain falls on your roof, it goes down the gutters, down the downspout, and straight back into the river, and we said, hold on a second, we're not using any storm drains, we're not using, we're not letting water flow out onto the roads or the streets. Why are you doing that? Well, now the city of Portland, in this case, says homeowners of floating homes, almost a thousand homeowners involved, are paying for city pollution control caused by the house when the rain hits the house and goes straight into the river. Now, you're paying for what? There's no infrastructure involved. 
There's no storm drain involved. And even if all the people disappeared, the rain would still hit the roof of that building, would still go down the gutters, down the downspouts, and straight into the river. So how are they going to control pollution? And the answer is they're not. All they're saying is we want another way to reach into your pockets. And as far as I'm concerned, even though it's been decades since I owned a floating home, I don't think this is reasonable. And to charge a tax on the rain that falls on your roof is absolutely crazy. So I would say no. Uh, Northwest government should not charge a rain tax. Today's Twitter poll can be found on X or Twitter at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com on our website. It's always brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Uh, on Friday's poll, on First Amendment Friday, should Joe Biden and Donald Trump face the same charges for illegal handling of classified documents? I may have phrased that a bit inartfully, but my point was this. You have a current sitting president who got caught with classified documents that he had been holding on to illegally for the better part of 50 years. Because Joe Biden has admitted he took home classified documents as a U.S. senator that he had absolutely no legal authority to possess. He is being charged with nothing. Donald Trump, on the other hand, was an American president who took home documents. He had the authority to declassify the documents. He had the authority to take them home and hold on to them. And he did. And now he's been charged criminally. And you might have noticed the four different criminal cases against Donald Trump, the fraud case in New York, the classified docs case that relates to uh, Mar-a-Lago, and all these other cases appear to be falling apart very, very quickly. So I said, should they both face the same charges? Meaning either charge both of them or don't charge both of them. And if you charge both of them, that doesn't mean I think Donald Trump is, is guilty. It means put it to a court. Listen to the evidence, present it to a jury or a judge and decide 82% of you agreed with me and said, yeah, charge them both the same way. And if we know now to a certainty because President Joe Biden turning 81 today is 81st birthday, making him the oldest president in American history. If he held classified documents and did it illegally, then by all means, he needs to be charged now. They may not bring charges against a sitting president, but they could certainly charge the people around him. He involved his attorneys in the decisions to do that and all the rest. Anyway, glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Now, we've got a Portland Public Schools teacher strike that's going on. I've talked about the teacher strikes that have already happened in Washington State. In Washington State, it's illegal for public school teachers to strike. Oregon Republicans are now considering a law that will also make it illegal in the state of Oregon to strike. But the Portland public school teachers, represented by their union, have now been on strike. They have denied children 11 days in school. And these are kids who can't afford to lose any more ground in public education. Why? They've already been put behind by the pandemic. They've been put behind by unnecessary shutdowns of public schools at the same time that private schools went ahead and operated in the time immediately after the China virus arrived in America. And yet the, the teachers are on strike. And why? My analysis of this is not that terribly complicated. It's 
Who ends up suffering? Who has an incentive to settle out and actually tell the teachers to go back to work? Well, the taxpayers certainly do because we're paying for education that kids are not getting. Parents certainly do, again, for the same reason. The students certainly do, although many of them have been co-opted and politicized by their teachers into supporting things they absolutely don't understand. And my suggestion at the beginning of the show today was, why don't we tell the teachers it is routine at the end of a strike to have it settled out, including the proviso that teachers will be paid for all the days they didn't work. And I would ask you, how many of you listening to this show get paid if you don't go to work? If you called your boss and you didn't say I'm sick or I'm taking vacation, you just said, boss, I'm not coming to work. I'm not doing the work, uh, but send my paycheck to this address anyway. How many of you would get paid for not working? Tell the teachers when you come back to work, you're not getting paid for a single day that you didn't educate those kids. Back in a moment. The Lars Lars. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Live now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Monday. Always glad to get your calls. And thanks for listening to the Radio Northwest Network, proudly serving the Pacific Northwest states, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, for almost 24 years now through our 26-station radio network. Senator John Braun joins me now. Senator, it's good to have you back on the program. And I thought we'd ask because you've suggested this, and it's a good time to take a look. Two full academic years since uh, Jay Inslee decided to to uh, 
to close down the public schools and then eventually open them back up again. So what's happened to student progress in that time? Well, it's it's done exactly what we warned folks about. It's taken a, a huge nosedive due to learning loss associated with kids not being in the classroom. And of particular note, uh, the achievement gap, as they they call it, the, the gap between our, our best performing students and the students that are struggling, sometimes due to economic uh, challenges or academic challenges or social emotional challenges, they've fallen further behind. In particular, uh, students of color have fallen, fallen further behind uh, their their classmates during this time frame. So it's exactly as we predicted when the current majorities and the governor insisted on keeping our schools closed. When we know that the kids. Uh, we're not uh, seriously at risk from COVID, and that the, the, the long-term damage from missing out on their academic studies would do much more harm than any uh, any physical risk. Well, and Senator, I don't have much sympathy for uh, Governor Inslee. I mean, he's a Democrat. Uh, he, you know, the schools and the state said to the federal government, "Give us a giant pile of cash because we're going to need it for COVID." As I understand it, uh, still an awful lot of that cash has not been spent. So it's not as though they can say, "Well, we don't have the resources to do something to help these kids catch up." They do have the resources. In many cases, they haven't spent it. And when are they planning to help these kids catch up? Is it going to be? before they graduate from school, uh, or are we just simply not going to do it? Because it sounds like that's the result people are getting. That's exactly right. We have hundreds of millions, you know, billions of dollars that came from the federal government directly to our school systems, and for a number of different things. But a certain percentage that was supposed to go to, go towards learning loss. And here we are, tw- end of 2023, uh, we're, we're nearly two years out of the pandemic, and we still can't show where the right percentage has gone to to, to help students recover. It, it's it's just abysmal, and and we've fought this literally every session uh, since 2020. You know, 2021, 2022, 2023. We fought to get money specifically allocated to address learning loss. The governor has pushed back at every turn, including vetoing. Uh, both the funding going directly to learning loss in the school system, instead letting the superintendent of public instruction uh, direct it as he sees fit, which has been, uh, let's say, uh, less than stellar, uh, or has, has vetoed even a study. We had a study to make sure we at least knew what the effects were, uh, and the governor vetoed that as well. We were able to get the study done anyhow, and it showed exactly what we thought, which we are falling behind. This is We got on a bad track, and we have done absolutely nothing to get ourselves back on the right track for our kids i mean because senator braun uh, there are democrats all day long who'll tell you well there are the haves and the have-nots your study the, what you've written about here says the haves the kids who are from the affluent families are doing pretty darn good they're close to their pre-pandemic scores but the kids who are the poor kids who are already behind to begin with and then the pandemic hits the government shuts down the schools it keeps them closed too long that they're falling farther behind, even though the affluent kids are doing fine or doing reasonably well. That's correct. I mean, this is this is what we've described as the equity issue of our time. And we said this in 2021 when we came back for the first session during the pandemic. <laughs> and literally, I said this on the floor of the Senate and got ridiculed from one of my colleagues on the other side and stood up and talked about it again because it is, it is. The folks, the, the kids who were already struggling, the kids uh, who, who have you know, any number of disadvantages are the ones who are suffering. You look at the study, and I reference the numbers from the city of Seattle, and you look at the, the affluent schools, Ballard, Roosevelt, West Seattle, those kids 
are back on track or nearly back on track. It's it's least close. The kids who are are from poor regions of Seattle uh, who have other struggles in their lives, they are not. They're worse off now than they were before the pandemic. We see no indication uh, nearly two years after this that we're getting back on track. We have not dedicated enough resources to help these kids get back on track. There's a reason that the state of Mississippi is beating Washington when it comes to education of their children. Uh, You know, I was just going to bring up Mississippi, Senator, because about, what is it now, about 11 months ago, I talked to the governor of Mississippi. And and it was back in January, February of this year at SHOT Show. And he said, look, you know, when you get to third grade, if you're not ready for fourth, we hold you back. And then we give you tutoring and we bring you up to speed. And he said for the whole state of Mississippi, which I think is around a million people, Washington State is about seven times that much, they had to spend, uh, I think he said it was 15 million bucks. And I said, that that sounds like a rounding error when it comes to government. 15 million bucks uh, isn't much at all. But even if you multiplied that by seven to apply it to Washington State and said at third grade, if the kid is behind, hold the kid back, apply some tutoring, get them up to speed, and then move them on to fourth. That seems like something that could be done under the current laws administratively. In other words, Chris Reichdahl could say, this is what we're going to do. Starting at the end of this year, any kid who isn't up to speed at the end of third grade gets held back. Tutoring money is applied. We've got $100 million for that, which, again, would be a relatively small piece of overall uh, education funding. We'll get the kids up to speed as much as we can before we move them to fourth grade. That could all be done without the legislature lifting a finger, couldn't it? I think most of it could, and, and frankly, the legislature should, it should and, and I think would weigh in. Look, whether it's you know, multiplied by seven or multiplied by ten, 150 million, we're talking about, we spend over $35 billion in, in a two year cycle for K-12 public education. You're 100% right. This money, we can't afford to spend this money to get kids back on track. Mississippi is beating us because they are closing the achievement gap. They are bringing these kids who are struggling along, uh, and we are not. Uh, and we, our, the folks in the majority, Love to stand up and, and rant and rave about how, you know, social inequity and social justice, but they're, they are the ones. Their actions have left these kids behind. We need to change this. Well, and the only reason I suggest something that's within reach like that, Senator, is I, I know they can come up with giant plans for reforming all of education. Just do one thing. Take, test the yeah. kids at third grade. If they're not up to speed enough to go on to fourth grade, fourth grade will be wasted i mean if you're a kid who comes into fourth grade can't read at a fourth grade level, beginning fourth grade level can't do math can't do that uh, this and that then fourth grade gets wasted on you and you fall farther behind but it would be relatively easy to say to the teachers identify the kids that are not yet ready for fourth grade we'll hold them back we'll maybe we'll give them tutoring this summer you know next summer and and get them up to speed, and maybe they can go on to fourth grade right away. Maybe they need to be held back for six months. And all this social promotion nonsense, we can throw that one right out the window. That is Senator John Braun. Uh, he's from Washington State, of course, and the Washington State Legislature. I'd love to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Coming up in a moment, we'll talk about those new tapes, 44,000 hours of tapes related to the January 6th congressional investigation and what a different picture they're painting right now. We'll get to that next. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network.
Wow. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. This is the Lars Larson Show. Well, let me give you my view of what happened January the 6th. And we're all, we're here. We're here. We, we, we saw what happened. It was a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election. That voice, in case you couldn't identify it any other way, was that of Mitch McConnell, allegedly a Republican, more of a rhino in my book. And what he was talking about was the J6 insurrection. Now, it's a bit of an older soundbite, but you understand what happened. Mitch joined right in with the deep state and said, yep, it was an attempt to overthrow the government. Now, as actually, as I recall, the people who are protesting on the Capitol lawn, including some who did go in and break the law, uh, they entered the Capitol building, they did some damage, but it was relatively minor. And to a large extent, the Capitol Police, at the direction of then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, aided and abetted them. And why? Because Nancy Pelosi wanted an excuse to impeach President Trump. And she got it. She didn't get exactly a legitimate impeachment because the impeachment was done in a couple of weeks. And they knew they couldn't possibly finish with a trial in the Senate before Donald Trump became a private citizen. And if you don't recall, the U.S. Constitution does allow the impeachment of federal officials. It does not allow impeachment of private citizens. And by the time they got around to giving him a trial a couple of weeks later, Donald Trump was a private citizen. So what did we get instead? And by the way, I do want to get your calls on this, but uh, let me give you the numbers at 866-HEY-LARS. And naysayers go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. But understand what happened. There was a narrative set up that said this was a violent insurrection, that half a dozen cops were murdered during this violent insurrection, uh, that all of this happened and that there was no way the government could have foreseen it. Guess what happened on Friday? One of the promises made by the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, was that he would at long last do what Republicans had not done earlier this year, that they would release every single minute of video that was on record from January 6, 2021. And you might wonder, well, didn't we see all of it back in the months after January 6? Didn't we see the significant parts 
in the trial of Donald Trump in the Senate? No, we didn't. And a lot of us knew that what they were doing was they were carefully crafting a narrative that there was a violent insurrection, that police officers were murdered, that all of this was about violence. If you've sampled, as I've sampled, some of the video that came out on Friday, they began to release in tranches, you know, so chunks of video, uh, releasing about 44,000 hours of video that was shot on January 6, 2021, at the U.S. Capitol. Johnson released 90 hours of footage to the House Administration Committee's website. A hundred hours of the footage has been released so far via that website, and they plan to release every bit of it. It should have been released years ago, literally. And what do we see in it? We see Capitol Police allowing people to be in the building. In other words, the same people who are later facing criminal charges and time in federal prison were allowed into the building by the Capitol Police. In fact, in one notable scene that I want to describe for you, uh, we can post it on my website. But there's a protester who was inside the building. He's wearing a helmet, he's wearing gear, uh, and he is put in handcuffs by the Capitol Police. He's then led to an exit from the building, and when the police officers take his handcuffs off, they fist bump with the protester. Now, were they protesting? Yeah. But were they trying to overthrow the government? Absolutely not. They were saying, we want an accurate count of the election. The very same thing that dimwit Democrats have demanded for Stacey Abrams, for Al Gore, uh, for every election they've ever objected to. The Democrats say, we have to investigate whether or not that election was legitimate. And you understand the double standard that's being set up for all of us. We're told if you are a Democrat and you object to the way an election was run, it is a perfectly legitimate thing for you to do. If, on the other hand, you happen to be a conservative, maybe even you wear a MAGA, Make America Great Again hat, you believe in Donald Trump and voted for Donald Trump, if you object to an election, they want to silence you as fast as they possibly can. The video that has just begun to be released of those 44,000 hours demonstrates very cl quickly, clearly, that we were fed a lie, that we were told one thing, and the video showed something entirely different. So there are a number of representatives. Troy Neals of Texas, a Republican, says the January 6th committee was a sham. I knew it then. Everybody knows it now. Let's investigate the investigators. Several House Republicans have called for establishing a new House investigation of January 6th, the Capitol breach, after the new security footage was released. I want you to consider this. This was probably at the end of the day, one of the biggest criminal prosecutions of average Americans by their own government in American history. And you say, well, they deserved it. They tried to overthrow the government. No, they tried to say, we want the election to be counted legitimately. You've not done that yet. And in fact, the House of Representatives, as the Capitol protest began, had a number of members who were raising questions saying maybe we shouldn't certify this vote until after we've determined whether or not the certification was legitimate. Uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene wrote, release of the tapes is not enough. And there needs to be an investigation, a probe for lies, deceit and lives ruined. They, she went on to call House Speaker Mike Johnson to create a new select subcommittee. Every member of the J6 committee, as well as Nancy Pelosi, the Capitol Police, District of Columbia Police, and January 6 witnesses who lied should be subpoenaed. 
I agree with her 100%. Criminal referrals must be written. Prosecutions must happen under a Donald Trump DOJ. I've said it all along. MAGA did not do this. And we found out more and more about what happened that day, that there were FBI informants and plants within the crowd of people who went into the Capitol. And I told you, all the way back to January the 9th, three days after the J6 event, I've been raising the question on the air. On January the 9th, the FBI held a press conference. And remember, uh, it was a press conference at that point that was about to transition to a brand new administration. And what did the FBI say? They said, we knew that some kind of violence was planned for January 6th. And they put themselves on the record saying, we've warned the Capitol Police, we've warned the D.C. Metro Police, there was trouble coming, they ignored the warnings. And I'll tell you, I, th I still stick to my theory, I've seen nothing to disprove it. The reason the Capitol Police, overseen by Nancy Pelosi, then House Speaker, the reason they didn't take advanced precautions, even though the FBI had told them that trouble was coming on January 6th, Pelosi needed an excuse for an impeachment. She didn't have one at that moment. She saw the possibility of one. I think it's one of the reasons Pelosi had her daughter, a documentary filmmaker, in her office on January 6th because, and she said a number of things uh, during that video that's very telling as well. She wanted a way to go after Donald Trump one more time because she knew that even though Trump was leaving and Biden was coming in, he was going to run again and he was going to win. And he's still going to win. And the Democrats haven't figured out any kind of subterfuge, legal or not, to stop him at this point. Find to get your calls at 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. Uh, if I have a dog in the fight, it's because at my age, I've got a couple of pharmaceuticals I take every day, although I think almost all of them are out of, out of any kind of patent protection or anything like that. But I understand the reason for protecting intellectual property when it comes to things like prescription drugs. If you don't, then apparently you don't want the pharma companies to come up with anything new unless you agree to protect that intellectual property, and especially if it comes out of federally funded universities. So the Congress has a law that dates back more than 40 years called the Bayh-Dole Act. So Evan Bayh and, and uh, I would say Robert Dole uh, were involved in passing the law that says it protects the intellectual property rights of those universities. But the Biden administration apparently plans to use it to go out and, uh, I guess, be the 9,000-pound gorilla when it comes to negotiating drug prices. I thought we'd talk about that with Adam Mossoff, who's professor of law at the uh, George Mason's Antonin Scalia Law School. Professor, welcome back. Thank you, Lars. It's really a pleasure to be here. Tell me if I've misstated any of that. This is how the Biden administration plans to, as they call it, negotiate drug prices. I'm trying to imagine negotiating with a kind of uh, entity like the U.S. federal government. It doesn't sound like a fair contest, uh, even if it produces a good result for some people. 
Yes, although this isn't the negotiation issue that is occurring right now under the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, okay. This is actually outright price controls that are being proposed under the Bayh-Dole Act. Um, and so the and, – and there's two laws, actually, the Bayh-Dole Act, and then there's another law called uh, – it doesn't have a name. It just goes by its section number in the U.S. Code, Section 1498, that Senators Warren and Senator Sanders and, and – Activists and you know leftist academics have been pushing uh, to for the federal government and federal agencies to use to impose price controls on drugs. Um, that's not the function of these laws. It's not the function of the Bayh-Dole Act or Section 1498. Clearly, by their text or purpose, um, and, but they know but they know they can't get price controls directly, so they think that they can do it by warping the laws. So how do they? How do they? I mean, is there a way for a non-lawyer like me or most of my audience to understand? how they plan to impose price controls, because, Professor, I tell my audience all the time, wage and price controls don't work. It was a stupid mm -hmm. decision by the Nixon administration way back Wednesday. <laughs> Let's just control the price of everything uh, because the government doesn't know the value of anything. And, and it turned out to be a colossal disaster. How is it they plan to do this and, and without running afoul of the federal government's own antitrust laws that don't allow price fixing? Yeah, so this is a great question, Lars, and you know, and you're exactly right. Price controls don't work. I mean, we've seen this repeatedly through history, whether it was Soviet Union, whether it was any other socialist economy. Recently in Venezuela, went from being the most prosperous country in, in South America to now being the poorest. Um, and you know, in the United States, we lead the country in biomedical innovation. More than half of all new drugs are created in the United States, in part because we are the last country in the world that provides effective protection for innovations through our patent system and does not impose price controls through uh, uh, through a nationalized healthcare system and so and so advocates know that they can't get this passed through explicitly because they know that it's clear it would destroy this incredible uh, driver of medical treatments and innovations that have made modern life a veritable miracle you know we have treatments for diabetes now cancer even viruses that you know scourge of humankind for 10,000 years that, you know, American innovators have, have, have figured out how to fix through the patent system and through patented drugs. Um, and so they have these really convoluted legal arguments that effectively uh, uh, boil down to a government agency would authorize another company to, effect, to essentially violate the patent. Now, in any other context, then the patent owner could sue them for infringement and get damages. But right. the federal agency would then say, we'll protect you as the government. We will step in and, 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 and represent you when you're sued for patent infringement so that they have to sue the government, not you. And the government will then set the price of what we think is a reasonable price for, uh, for payment for the patent infringement. That's and how do they come up with this reasonable price? Because... Look, whether people like it or not, it, it takes uh, the numbers I've heard are close to a, a billion, maybe even a, as high as three billion to come up with a brand new drug. So they say, OK, you've got to have protection under patent mm -hmm. to be able to sell that drug for a while, recoup your three billion and maybe even make a little bit of profit. Because if you don't, if you're locked out of making a profit, then companies are going to say, fine, we'll just make the generic stuff, the old stuff, the stuff that doesn't work as well. And we'll still make money doing that. But we're not going right. to go out and hang ourselves out a three billion dollars in the wind and say maybe we'll make it back or maybe we'll lose a billion dollars uh yes. that, that'd be crazy wouldn't it 
Yes, 100%. And yes, and you know, you're exactly right. At the end of the day, you know, when the government is making determinations of what counts as a reasonable profit or a reasonable price, it's essentially a government bureaucrat making an arbitrary decision. This is what we think you should, this is what we have decided you will be, be paid. I mean, and you don't negotiate with the government, right? This is not, this is not like negotiating to buy a new car or negotiating to buy a house or something because you don't get to walk away. When the government says, this is what you're going to pay you, and you're going to accept this, you have no choice. And, um, and so it, this is what makes it a price control. And, um, and the way that they try to get around this is that, you know, the problem with, you know, with patents more broadly is that they're f for innovations that in, that in which there's a lot of up, uh, upfront expenditures in research and development. You just said it. It's about $3 billion uh, of research and development and about 10 or 15 years of, of work to create a new drug before even the first patient takes it in the healthcare market. Right. Um, and, and private investment um, <clears throat> every year in R&D in, in is upwards of $130 billion a year. Private investment as compared to $30 billion from the federal government, which gives you a sense of the differences in scale. Th thanks for mentioning that, Professor because I get a lot of people with the conventional wisdom, well, doesn't the government develop all these drugs? And I said, the government couldn't f develop its way out of a wet paper bag most of the time. You know, it's exactly. private industry. Now, do they do some pre pure research, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's for that? I get that. But when it comes to innovation and figuring out how to come up with things that actually make people's lives different, so how do we fight back against this if they're going to do it through the, you know, through the deep state? So... Um, so there's two ways you can fight uh, fight back against it. Of course, right? You know, let President Biden know that you know he he shouldn't do this. He shouldn't destroy the golden goose that has been you know a, you know laying all of these incredible eggs for decades for uh, over a century of new medical treatments, new drugs, new uh, new new tests, and things of that sort. Um, but also call your representatives because this is you know th this is being done also through proposed legislation, and it's like as I said, it's Senator Warren. Senator Sanders, who are putting the, the pressure... Comments. Yes, <laughs> just saying, Professor. Yeah. The <laughs> yes, far left socialist uh, professor, uh, pr uh, so far left socialists who are putting, who are writing letters to the National Institutes of Health as an agency, saying you should do this, you must do this, and so you know we need the other senators and and even their their and their voters to say to be telling them no, you can't do this. You're going to destroy our biopharmaceutical sector. You're going to destroy our healthcare industry, because we are the last country in the world where you know. People where companies, you know, can can invest and can create these new discoveries and innovations and and bring them to market and and charge the price that they can charge to continue to invest in more innovations, and this is it. I mean, and we if we stop if we impose price controls, there's nowhere else left to go, and and this will and this will bring it all to a crashing halt, and we'll become yes, like uh, Venezuela. Yeah, We've and, and I don't want to do that or. <laughs> Uh, you saw what had just happened in Argentina. Uh, pick a new leader yes. because they went from what sixth, uh, sixth richest country in the world a hundred years ago to the sixty-sixth richest country in the world, basically somewhere between Mexico and Russia. Professor, thanks for what you do at George Mason at the Antonin Scalia Law School. We appreciate the time. We'll be back in just a moment. Glad to get your calls at eight six six Hey Lars. That's eight six six four three nine five two seven seven. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network.
Hey, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. He's the best investment in talk radio, and it's free. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. On this Monday, this segment is always brought to you by the home power generating folks at ProTech Power. Make sure your loved ones are safe when the power goes out, and it often does. 541-ONA-GEN. Call 541-ONA-GEN. Today's Twitter poll sounds crazy, but that's because we cover government. Uh, should any Northwest government charge a rain tax? Portland is pushing one now. They say they have to make people who live on floating homes on the river. Uh, in the case of uh, Seattle, uh, floating homes would be on, say, Lake Union uh, or other parts of the Puget Sound. The city of Portland says those people have to pay us a pollution tax because the rain that falls on their roofs then goes down the downspout straight into the river. Never goes anywhere near a street drain. All the people who have a street drain connection of one kind or another have to pay a tax. You have to pay one, too, even if the rain just falls on your roof and goes straight into the river. I think it's crazy, but then again, you can vote any way you like. At Lars Larson Show on Twitter and LarsLarson.com on the web. Uh, brought to you today by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to Pinball. Hey, Pinball, uh, I think all of us are concerned about this massive teacher strike in the city of Portland because we could see it happening in other communities, and it has. Welcome to the program. Yes, Lars, thank you for taking my call. And uh, I want to suggest to anybody who's in the teaching business or is thinking about doing it and wants to make good money and benefits and live in some of the most prestigious places in the United States, get yourself a job teaching at an all-boys military academy. Mm. The students won't shoot you. If anybody comes on onto campus to try to harm you, you're, they already say, yes, sir, no, ma'am. They're already well-trained. Hey, you do, don't have to worry about turning in the homework. Tell their platoon sergeant or the captain or the squad leader. Well, I, I can see that argument, although, Pinball, I can think of another way uh, to skin a cat uh, in this case. Uh, if you want to have higher teacher salaries, do you know what you have to get rid of? You have to get rid of the labor union because here's what would happen. A private school could pay whatever they want or whatever they think they have to pay in the marketplace to get the talent they want. So if you're teaching something rather ordinary, you know, that's, that just requires the skills of an ordinary teacher, you pay an ordinary salary. 
If, on the other hand, you want to find somebody who, say, has uh, a better resume, somebody who's a book author, maybe somebody who's a famous scientist, then you have to pay more money. I mean, there were... There were, and, and in fact, the universities do this already. University of Oregon a few years ago was bragging about how they were getting uh, a new member of their faculty. I can't remember who he was, but he had won a Nobel Prize. He was a smart scientist. And I asked, well, what's he going to teach? And they said, oh, no, he's not going to teach at all. And I said, well, he's at a university. He's not going to teach. What is he going to do? Well, he's going to write. And you say, so you're going to pay a ton of money to get a very smart person, it happened to be a guy, but I can't remember his name, uh, and he's not going to teach a single class, but you want to brag to all the parents out there and the students who might be going to the, in this case it was the University of Oregon, that we've got this super smart guy on the faculty who doesn't teach a single class. But he, he negotiated a very sweet deal for himself, a big paycheck, and no teaching responsibilities. Well... You could do that with a private school. You could say, we've got this top flight person to teach math or calculus or, or whatever skill it is, and his skills are unique. Therefore, we're going to pay a really large salary. Do you know where you're never allowed to do that, Pinball? In a, in a K-12 pub, a public school. Because you might say, on the open marketplace, um, I don't know, pick, pick an area. English teachers, they're a dime a dozen. We got a whole bunch of people with English degrees who can teach American English. Uh, how about how about people who teach something else? Well, imagine the competition you've got from the private sector. Pinball. If you're a young man or woman and you come out with a really good degree in math or uh, uh, an elect, you know, electronics or physics, one of those degrees. If you could get a job teaching high school, but you could also get a job paying at Intel. Or any or Microsoft, which one do you think is going to pay better? That is true. And but another thing about these teachers at these private academies, you are very vetted because you're teaching our former military, uh, our future military leaders. Yep. And uh, they only select some of the schools that I've known. They only take the best and the brightest because they only want our military to be the number one. So getting yeah, a and, job teaching there is not easy. Well, it's imagine... It's boot camp for teachers. Let me... Uh, I, I, I want to grab a naysayer, because I'm curious about Greg. Greg, we're about a minute and a half to the break, and I and I can't move that one. What do you and I disagree about? Let's get right to it. Well, I've talked with you a long, long time ago about it, and I'm so tired of you complaining about unions but yet if you go to why a the complaints job, are valid well no i'll give you an example i work for okay. ups i have a very good contract the people at amazon don't have one and they make about 40 percent less than i do and in this day and age we all need to make more money such as yourself uh you negotiate contracts with your employer as we negotiate yep. contracts with ours so why is that so wrong that we make it's money? not bad to negotiate but here's the thing greg how much difference is there from one UPS driver to another driver in terms of productivity? Have you ever been a UPS driver? No, but I, that's not you the question I asked you, and you dodged the question. The answer is, if you've got teachers, and there may be big differences in their capabilities and qualifications, there ought to be big differences in their paychecks. But then you'd have to get out of the union, because the union wants everybody paid the same. The Lars Larson. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.